listen to them. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. We don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Free for your life. Into <laughs> a new world of parts and monsters. and ghouls. Why are you using that voice? This is the wrong Tales from the Crypt. That is correct. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me is Inthia. Hello. Pods and Monsters is the podcast all about monster movies, where we will talk about history, talk trivia, and have a wonderful time all in the realm of horror pictures. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the 1972 version of Tales from the Crypt. I've been talking like the Crypt Keeper of the HBO TV show, but uh, as you will come to find out, that version of the Crypt Keeper does not exist in the 1972 version. Nope, not at all. You're leading people astray. <laughs> but I love doing that voice. Inthia, have you ever seen the 1972 Tales from the Crypt? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have previously. Did you know about it before you knew me? I knew the references, but... No. Because of the HBO show, you think? or No, I think some of it's parodied in The Simpsons. Mm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we rewatched this again, uh, mostly because it is the holiday time. And this is, <laughs> this is an annual Christmas movie for me. It is. Because as you might know, if you have seen this movie, if you have not seen this movie, I will tell you now, this is an anthology film meaning there are five stories presented in this movie. Mm-hmm. So why don't you take us through those stories, Cynthia? Sure. So the movie opens with a brick building, and we have some spooky music that's playing. Yeah, it's classical music that everyone knows, and as you call it, the universally spooky music. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that they have this music in here. It's uh, very fitting to the images we are seeing here. Yes. We are panning through the woods to a statue, and over it we have some text uh, for the movie. The title shows up, and it's in a wonderfully 70s font, and it's also very bloody. It pans through the woods to a statue, then through buildings and into some mausoleums, which I commented to you, this site is used for other movies 
most recently for me it was crimes of grindelwald where they the big climax of the movie happens yeah and that cemetery is highgate cemetery in london england i i love these images because it is a real cemetery and it just looks like such a creepy eerie cemetery that i'd really love to visit one day and by the way, that classical universal music was a, a classic piece composed by Bach. 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 So we're in a dark passage with people walking through to a crypt. They're taking a tour through catacombs. The guide warns them not to lose their way and to keep close together. Immediately, a woman uh, loses her brooch along the way and... And keep a note of that. Yes. And uh, the men around her find it for her. So this causes them to kind of fall a little far behind. Well, a lot far behind, I guess. The tour. They walk into a torchlit area and are lost. It turns out this is a dead end. But a door opens up at the end of this dead end. Um, and they go inside where uh, they have ominous music greets them as they're walking in. Right. And there are five people that enter this crypt. Yes. And each one will be the stars of our stories. They all take a seat around this room and there's like a skull on a wall and there's no way out. The door behind them closes. When the door closes, they're shocked. And then from behind, they hear a voice say, There's no way out there. There's a man in brown robes who does appear and they ask who he is and how he got there. He responds all in good time. Uh, He tells them all to sit and that um, he has a purpose. So this is our first glimpse of the Crypt Keeper. Yes. Uh, The Crypt Keeper, he is not the (laughs) lovable skeletal figure that we know from the TV show. But he is Sir Ralph Richardson, a classical actor of Shakespeare and other types of work. And he just looks like an old man in a robe, as you said. Mm -hmm. And he will guide us on our journey. He asks the woman why she's there. She says that she was driving by and just stepped in, which is kind of weird. Like if she just stopped by. Well, everyone's there, but no one can remember how they got there, why they got there. So he asks her what her plans are after she leaves from there. Um, and she has a odd look on her face. Uh, we cut to a Christmas tree in a very white house. Everything in this house is blindingly white and pristine. Much better for the contrast of blood. We see a woman's hands grab a poker by this fire. And then a man with presents is sneaking into the room and puts them behind a tree. Yeah, Um, and he's uh, wrapping his little present and reading the card aloud that he wrote for his love. Yes. And I like how excited he is. He's so happy. Like, this is going to go somewhere good. Yes. His name is Richard, and he's leaving the present for his wife, the best wife in the world. The best wife in the world. Who's played by Joan Collins? Yes, Joan Collins is the star of this uh, segment. And her name is Joanne? Yes, her name is Joanne Clayton. Excellent. Like Clayton Kershaw. He fixes a drink and sits on the couch to read a paper. As he sits down, the radio is on. I like that we're hearing like the music play through the radio, but we're also hearing the announcer on the radio. Um, yeah, and so throughout 
this whole segment, you know, it's Christmas time and Christmas songs are being played on that radio. And for some reason, Christmas songs play very well in horror movies. There's something really eerie about it when you Mm -hmm. hear Christmas songs and you see horrific images. Mm -hmm. We have a view now straight at the newspaper and we hear this really gross thud and then we see very bright blood. Yeah, the blood covers the newspaper. Yep. Joanna's hit him and he falls over dead. Merry Christmas. Once he falls over, she searches his pocket and finds a pair of keys. She then goes to a safe that is hidden in their wall and pulls out presumably life insurance papers. And as she's going through them, a little girl, which is their daughter, calls from upstairs and kind of shakes her out of her stupor trance. I don't know, whatever she's feeling as she's just murdered her husband. So she starts to clean up the scene. And I feel like as she's cleaning up this scene, I personally don't think she's cleaning it up. I just think she's spreading everything around. (laughs) That's what it kind of looks like. (laughs) It would be a lot harder to clean up blood than how they're portraying it in this movie. Yeah, especially this like neon red blood. Yeah. The girl upstairs is Carol, their daughter, and she's asking if Santa has arrived and if she'll see him. Joanne puts her back to bed and pretty much just tries to make her stay in her room and just to go to sleep. And she anxiously tries to light a cigarette. Yes. And when the daughter is being put back to bed, she says goodnight to her mom. And then she yells, goodnight, daddy. Night, daddy. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to the shot of her dad dead on the ground or on the floor in the house. It's very eerie, I think. Yeah. Joanne goes to the Christmas tree and opens uh, the gift that he had given her and it is the brooch that we see her in in the crypt when we first meet her that's right i put down that the blood is so so red lincoln is this ridiculous neon red (laughs) and they have like this white shag fur carpet thing i think it's a fur carpet and she's just like working that blood into it it's crazy but the radio broadcast of the music is interrupted As she's moving his body, the broadcaster says that there's an escape man from the hospital for the criminally insane and that he's dressed as Santa. Um, So he's just warning everyone. We interrupt this program for a special announcement. A man described as a homicidal maniac has escaped from the hospital for the criminally insane. Joanne hears this and she bolts the door closed and draws these curtains that are in front of the door. Right. Which I think is very excellent because now it doesn't really make sense like you have this little foyer area and you just close the curtains but it plays off later it's great well i guess maybe those curtains exist because uh you know you're coming in from the snow you leave your shoes your umbrellas there and you don't want to see outside materials inside so you have the curtain to uh, hide that from your guests I feel like that's a reach (laughs) 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 that doesn't track for me (laughs) so there's a tall man outside dressed as santa so presumably this is the gentleman we've been warned about yeah and this scene i i always thought this scene was really scary where you see the house in the snow and it's all silent and you just hear this jingling because santa's ringing his jingle bell Mm -hmm. and he's coming up slowly with his bag of treats Uh, tries to get in and then he looks through the window joanne tries to hide from him then we get this wonderful point of view of her kind of like hiding under her window 
and and seeing him above her. She contemplates calling the police. Then she remembers that she's killed her husband, so she can't really call them. Yeah, she's all on her own because if she calls for police, she's going to be just in much trouble as that Santa. She runs through the house to lock the back gate and as she gets there his hands reach in through that door yeah that's a great jump scare it's really good (laughs) she runs to shutter all the windows around the house yeah and this comes to your point uh in movies how you don't like it when everyone can see in the house so there's no curtains or anything like that that's how she had her house so santa could see in and everything but now that she needs to close them she can't yeah, yeah, and she has that like she has that one that like the little latch won't latch, so she's yeah. like hitting it with the fire poker, which seems like the most right ridiculous way to do it. Well, she can't do it, so she runs away to get the fire poker, and then Santa puts his head in the window to look in, and then she closes it on his face. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, he puts his hand on that window, right? Yeah. So she's presumably secured her house. Now it's time to get back to her husband. So she takes the husband's body and she throws him down the stairs. And as she looks at him at the bottom of the stairs, she realizes that she needs more blood because there's blood coming out of his head. Mm -hmm. So she needs to make this look convincing. For some reason, there's some very thick blood still on the newspaper, I believe. Yep. So she goes with the little spatula and she scoops it up into a champagne flute and then uh, finishes cleaning up the, the living room. Um, And she drips it gingerly around his head. Yeah, she just pours it like in his hair and next to his body, but... It's still not. Yeah, like, (laughs) she has to be so dumb to think that the police would buy this because she's not even looking really for where the wound would be and have it spewing from the wound. Yeah. (laughs) Um, She cleans up the living room and puts back the insurance into the safe. She goes to make a phone call but notices her daughter's door is open and now those curtains are drafty. Yeah, they're moving in the wind. She hears a bell and Carol appears and she's ringing that little bell. Yeah, it's scary because it's just the curtains and then her little arm comes out and starts jingling that bell and that's all we see. And And what does she say? She says that she let Santa in. We know what that means. She proceeds to get choked out by Santa Claus at the fireplace because she goes to go run to get the fire poker. Yeah, Santa comes Santa, in and Santa's running after her. And, and chokes her and her story is over. Yeah, we cut back to her with her shocked look. And then you come to realize we don't know exactly what this story is. Is this something that will happen or is this something that has already happened? Yes. If you think about the brooch, that's a hint as to something. Yes. That's a hint as to maybe this already happened, but then what happened after Santa started choking her? Something's not making sense, but we have to figure this out. So next we have um, our second story where uh, the Crypt Keeper asks... Oh, by the way, that first story was called All Through the House. And our second story is called Reflection of Death. He asks a man with gloves what he was going to do. And he says that he was going to go see his wife and children. Cut to a suitcase at the bottom of the stairs. And this man is leaving for business. 
but you can tell that he plans on leaving his family. Like, he's not coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, He tells his wife that he doesn't know when he'll be back and kisses her goodbye. He drives to an apartment called Hillside, a building, Uh and he goes to a woman's apartment named Susan Blake. Turns out he and Susan are running away together. As they're driving, he's talking through their decision to run away together. And she notices that he's tired because he's just kind of rambling. And so she says that she'll drive. Uh, So he is asleep as she's driving and he has a nightmare. And he's waking up and he screams, no, no. No! And this causes them to get into a car accident. Well, he wakes up from it and then he sees in front of them a truck heading right towards them. Yes. So he grabs the wheel to sort of avoid the truck, but it causes much worse than running into a truck, probably. They fly off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really intense crash with these really dramatic and and intense close-ups. The whole thing, because as soon as it flies off a cliff, we we see it flying and then we see a point of view. From now, the point of view completely changes, and we, it's us. We are him. After the crash, uh, it cuts to his point of view, which is what we're seeing, as you said, and we see the fiery mess of the car, and... He's calling for Susan, mm-hmm. and he's looking for her. He he can't find her, or he like thinks he, that she's dead in the car, but right. either way, he goes to look for help, and he approaches a man under a bridge who runs away as soon as he looks at him in terror. Yeah, I love these POVs of they, they just look up all innocently, and they look at him, or look at us, and run away screaming. Um, he also stops, tries to stop a car, which the guy does stop and is talking to him. Again, looks at him and just speeds off. Yep. So he goes home, mm-hmm. knocks on the door, and his wife opens the door. She takes a look at him, and I think she's also in disbelief, but she too starts screaming. And when he looks down, he sees that the door says Wilson, and she's very upset. Yeah, because uh, we didn't mention it earlier, but his name is Maitland. Yes. Um, he goes to the hillside apartment and sees Susan Blake. Yeah, he's hoping maybe she went back there because, you know, they were running away together. So she was packing up all of her stuff and her apartment was basically empty. Mm-hmm. So he was thinking, you know, maybe she just happened to go back there after this crash. So Susan answers and she is shocked to see him there. And she says that it can't be him and tells him to go away. All of the furniture is now back in the apartment. And you come to find out that while she is shocked that to see him, um, she can't actually see him because she's blind. Blind from the accident. Yep. She says that Carl was killed and it happened two years ago. Furniture. I don't understand. How did... I brought it back after the crash. Huh? And I was blinded. Blinded? And Carl was killed. Two years ago. He's just in disbelief. And he looks down at the coffee table, coffee table which is mirrored, and he sees his reflection. Ah! And we get a glimpse, just a little, just a really quick, quick blimp of this face, right? Yeah, it's really scary. It's this, like, burned up, zombified face. Yeah, I put down zombie with a bunch of question marks. And he wakes up back in the car. So we're at the point 
right before the car accident. Right. And you hear him screaming, no, no, no. And the accident happens like it did when he woke up initially. Exactly. So his premonition, his dream is now reality. Yep. And we're back in the crypt. Yep. That's his story. These are quick little stories, but they're all so They're done fun. so well. Oh, and he's questioned again if he was in a hurry to leave his wife and children. Questioned by? The Crypt Keeper. The Crypt Keeper. So that is why you were in a hurry? To leave your wife and children? What do you mean? They question him, the Crypt Keeper, and ask, who are you? What sort of game are you playing? He says that he wants to show them something in their mind that they are capable of doing. Right. So this is like, I don't know if this is the Crypt Keeper being coy or what? Because this is confusing, again, as to whether these are events that will happen or had have happened. Oh, this is him 100% being coy. Yeah. He's trying to, well, I mean, we end up finding out at the end right. where this is going to. But yeah, he's definitely toying with them. Right. Being vague as to whether or not, yeah, this has happened or will happen. Um. So now we have story number three. Yes, I consider this the best of the five stories. What's it called? This one is called Poetic Justice. This is with a younger man, and there's a lovely house with the sounds of kids, and an old man is with a puppet is entertaining these kids. This is Mr. Grimsdyke. Yes, Arthur Grimsdyke, played by the wonderful Peter Cushing, the star of all those Hammer films. And to he me... He's in the Star Wars. Yeah, he's in Star Wars as Grand Moff Tarkin. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is his best performance of his career. It's very heartbreaking. It is very heartbreaking. Um, so the young man is annoyed uh, with Mr. Grimsdyke and thinks he's he's low. Like he's just, he thinks that he is better than Grimsdyke. He calls his house a dump. Yeah, well, he doesn't like Grimsdyke also because, you know, it's a, a rich neighborhood and, and Grimsdyke brings down the value of everyone's property. Yep, he's saying that he's ruined the neighborhood. And his father says that there's no way to get rid of him. They've offered to buy his place and he won't sell. They can't get rid of him. Right, these awful neighbors uh, of Grimsdyke's. It's a father and son. When I always saw it growing up, I thought they were a couple. but in the actual movie they don't say their relationship but in the credits it says father and son i think um i feel like i always thought they were father and son Mm -hmm. um the young man uh, starts scheming and he decides um that his first thing he's gonna do is he's gonna rip up grimsdyke's neighbor's prized garden his prized roses and And why is he doing that he's going to set up grimsdyke and grimsdyke's dog um and has the dog taken away not the dog but dogs he has several dogs dogs. my prized roses years of hard work it's grimsdyke's dogs for sure grimsdyke had these dogs but he also had a wife but she passed away yeah um but before we get to that I, i just want to make a point about grimsdyke on how In the early scenes, you know, with the puppet show and all that, kids love him. He has all these kids that come over. He gives them toys that he makes, but his profession is that of a garbage man. So these are are toys that he finds and rebuilds and gives them to the kids. And the kids love him. Uh, They come over to play with his dogs. He is the kindest old man you will ever meet. Yes. And these awful neighbors who get worse and worse as the story goes on, just want to ruin Grimsdyke just because 
his house doesn't look as nice on the outside as theirs. Yeah. So, yeah, roses get ripped up so they can blame Grimsdyke's dogs. Yes. Dogs get taken away. Yes. Grimsdyke tries to contact his wife and uh, he asks her if she has anything to tell him. She yeah. tells him. Yeah, his his wife has uh, died several years earlier and Grimsdyke is very lonely now, but... As uh, we've explained, he has the children and his animals to keep him company. She says that he's in danger. Yeah, this is a great scene. Uh, It shows that Grimsdyke and his wife, I think, were into, what do you call it, paranormal doings? They they believed in the afterlife. (laughs) They believed in the afterlife, and he's using a Ouija board. Yeah. And uh, and I think he has a crystal ball, too, uh, on the table. So she communicates with him through the use of a, a chalkboard. Yes. So it is like that center Ouija board piece. I don't know what you call that. Uh, with a piece of chalk Sunshot. in the yeah, with a piece of chalk in the middle of it on a chalkboard, and he writes out some words, some yeah. letters. Um. So she says danger, and he asks who's in danger, and he thinks that the kids are in danger. Yeah. Danger? Who do? Who do? Is it one of the children? The young man is talking to Grimsdyke's employer to get him fired. He's two years away from retirement and convinces the employer that it would save him a lot of money if he just fired him now because he wouldn't have to pay him his retirement and it would save the town a lot of money. So Grimsdyke gets let go. He's home minding his own business when one of his dogs shows up at home. Yeah, one of the dogs made its way back. Yeah, and um, he comments that the dog and the kids are his only friends. Well, here's that young man again and his father, and they're talking to the women, the mothers of these children. They want them to know that Grimsdyke talks to their kids and that they don't know him. They don't know what his motives are. They don't know anything about him. And they're just like, look at his property. This man could just be harming your kids or whatever. Yeah, they don't outright say it, but they are... They uh, insinuate it. Yeah, they're insinuating that he has dishonorable intentions towards the kids. So the mothers go ahead and they ban their children from seeing him. So now they've completely isolated Grimstake. No kids, no dogs, no job, no money. It's Valentine's Day, and the young man decides that he's going to send a bunch of Valentines to Grimsdyke from everyone in the town, but they're going to be really mean messages to him. Grimsdyke gets all of them and reads them and becomes more despondent as he reads each one of them, and they really upset him. Yeah, well, at first the mailman comes and he has, you know, a huge pile of Valentines, and Grimsdyke is so happy, thinks all the kids really do love him and and want to send him valentines and he reads one about hoping that he'll go in the river and drown some people live in the country some people live in the town why don't you do us a service jump in the river it's a week later and the dogs have been howling the entire time so the neighborhood is like what's up with these dogs or the dog or the dog um has been howling so they mentioned that they haven't seen grimsdyke since valentine's day 
Oh, by the way, <laughs> there's one line that I really like uh, when he gets the Valentines. Hmm. He gets all these Valentines that he's confused at first as to who these could be from. And he shows it to the picture of his of his deceased wife. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> Valentine card. You're my only sweetheart. Couldn't this be? They go into the home and they're very surprised to see that it is a spotless home, which too little too late, you jerks. Yeah, they hear some creaking. They do. And they go into a room and they find that Grimstite has hanged himself. Yeah, it's a very scary shot. Uh, It's just Grimstite's feet and one of his slippers is hanging off of his foot. Um, and I hate these people. I love Grimsdyke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So he gets buried and at his funeral burial, uh-huh. there, uh, some of the kids with his dog are hiding and just kind of observing what's happening. Yeah. It seems like they weren't allowed to go to the funeral, but they snuck their way in to, to pay their respects to Grimsdyke. Yeah. We find out that the older gentleman's name is Mr. Elliot, and he is the father of the young man he out of guilt paid for the burial uh, for Grimsdyke or as the neighbors think out of the kindness of his heart but it was guilt it was kind of you to pay for the burial it was the least I could do he was a neighbor and so now it's like a little while later it's a year later actually yeah and the young man finds leftover valentines that he had used to write to Grimsdyke the year before And at the same time, we're getting um, these shots of the cemetery. And the cemetery where he's been buried is overgrown now. Yeah, and it it looks really, really neat. Uh, It's a great-looking cemetery with Grimsdyke's tombstone. And we see Grimsdyke's tombstone um, that's also overgrown. It turns out the young man feels guilty for what he did. And then we're back at the cemetery again, and we're on his tombstone, his grave, and a hand comes out. Yeah, and the music's really good here, too. Yes. Mr. Elliot goes to bed as his son is sitting at the desk. In walks a zombie Grimsdyke. Yeah, uh, Grimsdyke has risen from his grave. There's a shot of sort of his torso coming out of the grave after his his hand comes out in the previous shot. And this shot here, where he first enters their house, always, this whole sequence was probably the scariest thing I had ever seen when I was a kid. And this shot where he enters the house, it's just in shadows, and you see him walking slowly in the background. And those are the shots that always scare me the most in horror movies, are things that are kind of silent, just in the shadows at the back. Not, not the stuff that's up close in your face. Yeah. But that shot was just so good. He walks into the library and scares the young man. The guy is writing a letter, and there, I think there's like a statue of a hand on the table, mm-hmm. and Grimsdyke puts his zombified hand next to the statue and then we have the pov of that man looking up into the eyes of grimsdyke but there are no eyes there it's just eye sockets and it's the scariest sight you'll ever see the scariest zombie makeup ever done in my opinion it's so scary and then his hands come and cover the camera as if we're being choked it's the next morning and this kid is murdered grimsdyke has left a note that the father finds yeah uh the kid's body is uh slumped over the desk and there's just crumpled up big piece of paper and in blood it says happy valentine's day and do you remember what the poem says 
As he's opening up the paper, in blood, the poem says, You were mean and cruel right from the start. Now you really have no... And then they open up the rest of the paper, and inside the paper is... A beating heart. The beating heart of the man he killed for revenge. And the dad screams. Yes, and we cut back to the crypt. The young man does not deny that he did any of this. He, I think out of all of them, he's the only one that's just like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. Well, he's kind of silent and in shock the whole time, it seems. But he doesn't deny it, and he says that he doesn't like Grimstike. So he's like... I guess I would say the more honest of all of them. And the most evil. Oh, gosh. I hate that guy. Now we get our fourth story uh, with one of the older men. And he says, what did I do? And this segment is called Wish You Were Here. So the man has lost a lot of money that he might have to claim bankruptcy or sell valuables but simply he will not do it so he's talking at the time to his investor his money manager yeah, his business lawyer manager. i don't know um and then he's talking to his wife his name is ralph and they're talking about their problems yes or what are they well they have they have money issues yes as they're talking they are looking at this Chinese statue and remembering how they got it. Yeah, because this this was a couple that traveled the world uh, collecting antiquities of uh, distant regions. He acquired it while he was selling illegal guns. And he comments that the statue can grant three wishes, he remembers. And the seller said to use it wisely. He says that it reminds him of the monkey's paw story. Yeah, that old story of people uh, fighting a monkey's paw and making wishes. The wife just immediately wishes for lots and lots of money. I wish for lots and lots of money. And they get a call from their accountant, Charles, to come over. It's about money. So they're thinking maybe their wish is coming true. Now remember, the, the, the man, Ralph, he warns his wife not to make a wish because he knows the story of the monkey's paw, which is, if you make a wish, you'll get your wish, but not without horrendous consequences. Yes. So he drives away, and a man is watching him in, on a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, the first shot of Ralph driving away, we see uh, the man standing next to a tree from behind, uh, watching him drive away and it's very reminiscent of Michael Myers and Halloween that mm-hmm. shot to me mm-hmm. and then later that man gets on the motorcycle and he takes off after him uh, we get some adventurous music right now and Ralph notices that this man is following him and the man is wearing a very creepy skull mask yeah and you know it, it's a great shot where Ralph is driving and he looks up at it and in the rearview mirror the skull face is being shown of the motorcycle driver. And do you think it's supposed to be a mask on someone? I mean, I know it looks like a mask, but do you think it's just because they didn't do the best makeup job on that? Or Oh, I thought it was a mask. Like I thought it was like a person. I mean that's what it like a nefarious person. Yeah, I mean that's what it looks like. Um Do you think you think it's like death? I mean, it probably is supposed to be death. I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah. You, you don't you don't know what this guy is 
or really what it's about, but it's a really neat visual that I really like. <laughs> well, I mean, they also bring up that he sold illegal guns. Yeah. So, I mean, it just kind of plays into this yeah. under, you know, like the dangerous underbelly of society. Yeah, you can uh, you can build your own story from it. Yeah, for sure. Charles, who's their accountant, gets a call from the police. Ralph has died in a car crash. Enid, who is his wife, is upset. And Charles lets her know that there was a large life insurance payment that she'll be getting. Yeah, so now she's a rich woman. You realize this accident makes you a rich woman? Rich? And the consequence was the life of her husband. Um, she is devastated. She asks about the monkey's Paul, and he tells her about it and tells her that she cannot wish... For Ralph to come back, knowing that if she does, that he would be a zombie, essentially. Like, he would come back, but he'd be dead. She wishes for Ralph to come back as he was immediately before the accident. Key word being immediately. Yes. I wish Ralph were back exactly as he was immediately before the accident. These morticians arrive with a casket. And this is a scary shot because it's like, you know, they're in their normal house with normal, normal lighting. And then all of a sudden, these very scary morticians appear, but they look like they're from another world, from another time. Aren't they wearing like top hats? Yeah, they're wearing top hats and there's fog rolling in and they're setting up some easels. That's so good. He died of a heart attack, then had the accident. Yeah, so they they set up those easels and break in a coffin with his body inside. So they're thinking that he's going to come back alive, but he's still dead because immediately before the accident, he was dead from that heart attack. Yep. So she she has one more wish. Yep, left and must be careful with her words. She wants him back alive forever. I wish Ralph were alive now. I don't want him to die ever. I want him moving, breathing, talking, alive, now, forever. He wakes up in pain, and Charles tells her that he's in pain because he's been embalmed. Yeah, she wishes him back alive, but she left out the specifics, so he's alive after being embalmed, and... He's screaming. She picks up a katana and then starts trying to kill him, but he's gonna live forever. Yeah, she's trying to help him to take him out of his misery, but because of that wish, he can't die. Yep, and that's the end of that story. Yeah, uh, uh, she does sever his hand, and there's a really fake-looking hand on his chest, and there is a very gory shot of his guts. Yes. uh, Which surprisingly didn't really seem to have blood, but... No, because they drained him of all his blood. He's been embalmed. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Technically, I don't think his guts should be there. Yeah, probably not. not. But whatever, it's fine. But yeah, his guts uh, are shown to us, which is pretty graphic. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he's just going to live the rest of his life in pain, in pieces. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Um, This story is very weird, because I'm not 100% sure... I guess just because he was not the best person. Well, that was my question. Uh, these five stories, the main characters of each story, the the people that are in the crypt, they are all there because they are not good people. And I always thought, why is this guy part of this group? What did he do so wrong to deserve this horrible afterlife? Because it seems like that he just lost money. Yeah. But then there's that one line about him selling guns to Hong Kong. 
We got it in that strange shop in Hong Kong when he was selling guns to. Which makes me think maybe he's. It was during some war, which whichever war, and he did something awful at that point. That's the only line that leads me to believe that he did do something wrong. Yeah, yeah. And now you have our fifth story, where the last gentleman wearing a hat, he wants to leave, but the crypt keeper says that he needs to heed the warning. Yeah, and this story is called Blind Alleys. <sighs> this story. Okay, so he this man is in a car and he's driving with a dog and he arrives to the home for the blind. Um, he's taking over the post as a new superintendent and he's a former officer in the army. He has this German shepherd it scares one of the men. This dog's a little aggressive, but very loyal to this man. Yeah. Um, well, this man, his name is Major William Rogers. He was a major uh, in the army. And I think the reason his dog is like this and loyal to him is because he trained him like a soldier. Yeah, of course. You know? He's decided to implement some cost-cutting changes and also he just likes being cruel to people is what we come to find out he's decided to turn off the heat at night and so the people that are living there are getting colds and they're becoming sick yeah and he's so mean you know because everyone's uh blind in this um facility Mm -hmm. When he turns off all the lights at night and the heat, he says to them, The heating is now turned off each evening at 20 hundred hours. We'll all be in bed by then. After all, there's no point in staying up. You can't see anything. He says the worst things to these people. He really does. One of the the residents decides to help out his other friend who um, really does need the warmth and there are no extra blankets. He goes to see Mr. Rogers about the heating and asks for heat. Mr. Rogers says that they are turning off. And it's not a beautiful day in the neighborhood. No. Um, and t- they're going to turn off the heat and turn off the lights. Um, and yeah, they can't see anyway. The blind man tells him that because they're blind, Their other senses are heightened so that they feel more. The food is getting really bad as well. um, And you can't get any second helping. So these people are um, not necessarily starving, but they're definitely being underfed and they're being fed really awful food. It turns out the guy that is talking to him the most is named Carter. And he um, goes to talk to him. Roger is having his lunch, which is steak and wine, um, while they're eating, as they put it, dishwater. He sicks his dog on these men. Later, there's a man who's dying of the who dies of the cold due to there be no heat. At breakfast, everyone is passing bits of bacon to each other, like they're collecting it in this little napkin, and they all give it to Carter, who then goes to the office um, and leaves a little bacon trail to uh, distract the dog. They're able to set up a trap and lock up the dog using this bacon and they put him in the basement. The men then abduct Rogers and lock him away also in another room in the basement um, next door to the dog who is not being fed and is barking. Yeah, so for two days, all Rogers is hearing is his dog barking, and he's begging them to feed him or he'll go mad. Your dog seems to be getting hungry, Major Rogers. Feed him, please. Please feed him. All in good time. 
But you must feed him. He'll be dangerous. He'll go wild. Berserk. Yes. But it's weird because at one point you kind of feel like he cares about the dog. But at another point he doesn't because he just says that it will not be good for anyone if this dog does not eat. (laughs) So he's still looking up for himself. Rogers hears the men building. They're building something outside of his door. But he doesn't know what. He does comment that the dog will go berserk, and Carter says, I know. Um, he's locked up for two days without food or drink and does request, again, like you said, for them to feed the dog. The door one day just opens very slowly, and he finds that there's a hallway that's been built from his door. It's kind of like a, a, a maze. It's like um, chicken wire and wood. Yeah, it's very um, crude. Yeah. But yeah, so there's a but I mean all he sees is this hallway. Yeah. And as he turns down another little place, he sees he sees that the hallway gets more narrow and the walls are covered with razors. Yeah, razor blades. So he squeezes through there and gets a fine little nick on his face. Yeah, he's just able to get through it because at the other end of the hall is another door, which presumably will lead to his exit. Yes. So he makes his way past the razors. Yes. And then at the other end of the hallway is another door. The door opens and inside that door is his dog, Shane, who is now mad because he's been starving and he's going to attack anything he sees because he needs to eat, you know? Mm -hmm. So Rogers now scared for his life has no choice, but to go back towards the razors. And I think there's this great shot kind of like that shot in jaws, uh, where, where chief Brody sees, uh, Kittner being attacked Mm -hmm. and Rogers goes back towards the razors. He's, you know, squirming quickly through it. And then, the blind men turn off the light, so he too is now blind, and he has to make his way in the pitch black between all the razors and Shane, and he just hears screaming, and you know, that's the end of him. We're back in the crypt. <laughs> <laughs> um, this man, Roger, says that he was on his way to a new job. The cryptkeeper then tells them that they may go, and opens a door with a white light. Ralph goes through this door and falls into a pit of flames. As you said, it's like this white pit with like fire and brimstone. And so they're falling into hell, basically. Yeah. So the crypt keeper says that this place was not actually a warning. You see, I wasn't warning you, but telling you why you are here for all eternity. So you find out that this is not going to warn them what is going to happen if they go continue to do what they were going to do. He's telling them where they are, and why they're there. Yeah. At this point now, now they know what they've done. So, yes, they do know what they've done, and they all go willingly into this hell pit. Yep. They all follow one by one. The crypt keeper asks who's next, and then looks directly at the camera. So he looks at us. He says, who's next? Perhaps you? We get music and flames. (laughs) um and yes and then we get all of the story names um so yes did you say the last one is called blind alleys yeah okay but yeah so that's tales from the crypt yes a fun little movie from 1972 that 
remains one of my favorites. How did you like it, Anthea? I really liked it. Rank the stories from your favorite to least favorite. I'm going to say number one, from best to worst. Mm. I'm going to go from worst to best. Okay, worst to best. Wish You Were Here, number five. Number four, Blind Alleys. Number three, Poetic Justice. Number two, All Through the House. Number one, Reflections of Death. Very nice. Uh, Mine is similar, except I would switch Poetic Justice with Reflections of Death. Mine would be number five, Wish You Were Here. Number four, Blind Alleys. Number three, uh, Reflections of Death. Number two, All Through the House. And number one, Poetic Justice. Gotcha. I I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, I've told you before, this movie was probably the scariest movie I had ever seen up until I was about 10 years old. Uh, I saw it for the first time when I was probably like, you don't know, six years old or something. Mm -hmm. And Grimsdyke scared the hell out of me. He's the best zombie ever done. I still, (laughs) I really believe that. And even though he's a good guy, he still scares me so much. I remember being at my grandma's house and I would be scared to go down the hallway because she or my uncle would tease me saying, like, I'd have to go to the bathroom. And they'd say, careful of Grimsdyke. Or I remember we'd be walking the dog and across the street, there were these little vents in the sidewalk. And one of the vents always had sort of heat coming out of it. So my grandma used to tell me that was Grimsdyke's breath and he was down there. And that scared me so much. Did you think he was just down there going, (laughs) I'm going to get you. But I was a little boy, and he loves little boys. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just love this movie so much. And anytime I see anything with Grimsdyke, uh, collectibles, or hear someone talk about Grimsdyke, I get excited. <laughs> I gotta gotta talk about him. Want to hear a little bit of history about this stuff? Only a little bit. Okay, only have a little bit. Okay, <laughs> that works. All right, so let's talk about 1972's Tales from the Crypt. You're confusing the people. So Tales from the Crypt, it was based off of a series of comic books. Did you know that? No. Yes? Yeah. So it was <laughs> <laughs> It was called EC Comics, and they did horror-themed comics such as Tales from the Crypt or The Vault of Horror or The Haunt of Fear. These are all different horror-themed comics that they did. Ooh, okay. And... The production company was Amicus Productions, which they were known as sort of the cheaper version of Hammer Horror. Okay. They didn't have the budgets, but they had really fun movies that I, that I really love. I, I almost prefer Amicus to Hammer. I think I do, actually. What are other movies that they had? They had a lot of movies that were, I don't want to say they're sequels to Tales from the Crypt, but they are in the same vein and lots of them based off of EC Comics. Mm-hmm. Different type of anthology movies. Uh, they did Vault of Horror, Asylum, From Beyond the Grave, things like that. Lots of Vincent Price movies. Okay. One of the producers of Amicus Productions, his name was Milton Sabotsky. He was a big fan of EC Comics and he persuaded his partner at 
Amicus Films, Max Rosenberg to buy the rights because he wanted to turn these into movies. The copyright owner of EC Comics was William Gaines, and he was insistent on script approval. And he gave his approval on the script. He was very happy with what they were going to do with Tales from the Crypt. Mm -hmm. They got a director in Freddie Francis. He had won two Oscars for cinematography for the movie Sons and Lovers and the 1989 classic Glory. Remember Glory with Denzel Washington? Actually, I think it just had an anniversary or it's going to have an anniversary. Yeah. And he was also the cinematographer for The Elephant Man, which is another movie I love. He had directed other Amicus horror films and Hammer movies. In fact, for Hammer, he did The Evil of Frankenstein and Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Uh, We know, one of the Christopher Lee classics. Okay. Will we be covering any Hammer films? Yeah, of course. In the next 15 years? (laughs) So, as you know, there were five segments to this movie. Uh The first was All Through the House. And each story originated from a comic. You could find the comic version of these stories. Oh, So All Through the House was from The Vault of Horror, issue number 35. And it stars Joan Collins as Joanne Clayton. And Oliver McGreevy played the Santa Suit Maniac, as they called him. Mm. I don't really have too much history about the making of this movie. There's not that much that I could find on on it. But there are some interesting facts. For instance, uh, do you remember... In a recent season of American Horror Story, they remade All Through the House, sort mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. It was really neat. Joan Collins was on American Horror Story. This was... Apocalypse. Apocalypse. American Horror Story Apocalypse. And she played an actress in that. In the show, she's basically making All Through the House, and they're they're uh, reenacting it. And I mm-hmm. thought that was very neat. She looks amazing, by the way. She does. Uh, Reflections of Death. That one was from Tales from the Crypt, issue number 23. Uh, Ian Hendry plays Carl Maitland, and he was in the movie Repulsion. Do you know that movie? No. A great movie by Roman Polanski. Poetic Justice. That was from The Haunt of Fear, issue number 12. That one came out in the year 1952, that original comic book. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that one stars Robin Phillips as James Elliot, David Markham as Edward Elliot. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, father and son. Yeah. And, of course, my favorite performance in the movie, Peter Cushing as Arthur Grimsdyke. Now, Peter Cushing, he was originally offered the part to play the lead in the in the segment Wish You Were Here. Oh. Because I guess it was more of a role that would have been up his alley. But he wanted to try something different. So he went with the smaller role of Arthur Grimsdyke, since he's not the star of that story, you Mm -hmm. know? But it was very small, but it was expanded when Peter Cushing took the part, because Peter Cushing was the big star of this movie. And in fact, he wanted that part so bad that, that he took a lower fee to get that part. Oh, wow. And a reason that he wanted to do that part was not only because it was different than what he had done in the past, but it rang true to him because the character of Grimsdyke is very much like Peter Cushing in real life. It's really the only role he played where he's basically acting like himself and using his real voice because, you know, he's very British in it. It's almost kind of hard to understand him, Mm. where in other movies he'll make sure to enunciate so the 
so the audience can understand him and things like that. And also in real life, his wife had died recently, so he felt very connected to the character of Grimsdyke being in contact with his wife. Oh, wow. And he was very depressed about that in real life, about his wife. And uh, he, I guess, honored her with this role. Hmm. I think that was Peter Cushing's best role. He's most famous for the Hammer movies, playing Van Helsing in the Dracula pictures, and he played Dr. Frankenstein, and of course, Star Wars. I grow tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. Where is the rebel base? If you remember, he was brought back digitally in Star Wars Rogue One. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, that I, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I really liked seeing Peter Cushing come back to life. That was really neat. It was like Grimstake. <laughs> uh, Wish You Were Here. That was from the comic book The Haunt of Fear, number 22 from 1953. Hmm. That one stars Richard Green as Ralph Jason, Barbara Murray as Enid Jason, and Roy Dotris, or Dotrice as Charles Gregory. Do you know him from anything else? He looks familiar, but I can't. I know. Well, you might remember him from Game of Thrones. Who was he in Game of Thrones? Well, in Game of Thrones, he had won the role of Grand Master Pysel <gasps> in Game of Thrones, but he had to drop out because of health reasons. Was it? But he did come back to play another part, and Who? he ended up being Wisdom Hailing the Pyromancer. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real small part, if I'm remembering correctly. A little fun piece of trivia. Ralph Jason's mansion, where they had all their antiquities and things, it was the same house used by Gregory Peck and Lee Remick in The Omen. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Remember that scene from Wish You Were Here where they show his guts? Yeah. They filmed that, and originally it was cut out of the movie to get a PG rating. Oh, wait. Uh, PG here? Yeah. Okay. But on the DVDs and other recent releases, it was put back in. So the guts were cut out, but you could have that bright bright blood? Yeah, apparently. Hmm. Maybe that's why it's bright red, so it, it looks fake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Blind Alleys, the final story. That is from Tales from the Crypt, issue number 46 from 1955. And that one stars Nigel Patrick as Major William Rogers Mm -hmm. and Patrick McGee as George Carter. He was a very prominent horror actor in the 60s and 70s. He did a ton of movies like The Mask of Red Death with Vincent Price or Die, Monster, Die and The Skull. And he was also in Asylum, which was a sort of, you know, sequel to Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Another anthology movie based on EC Comics. The Crypt Keeper himself is played by Sir Ralph Richardson. Uh, He was a classic actor. I I didn't really know much with him, but he was a classic Shakespearean actor, as I mentioned earlier. And he wore a hood as the Crypt Keeper. But in the comic books, the Crypt Keeper never did wear a hood. He didn't really wear an outfit like that. But the co-hosts of EC Comics did. Uh, Do you remember the different hosts of those comic books? You'd probably recognize them, but there's the Crypt Keeper, the Old Witch, and the Vault Keeper. Mm-hmm. And the Old Witch looks a lot like that painting of the ghost host of the Haunted Mansion with the giant eyeball. Oh, uh-huh. 
Yeah, and they wore hoods. So it was kind of like his look was sort of inspired by the different hosts of the different comic books in EC's collection. The script went through many drafts, and most of those changes uh, involved the Crypt Keeper. They couldn't figure out if they wanted him to interact with the audience, or even if there should be a Crypt Keeper at all. They kept going back and forth on it. Eventually, they did decide to have him interact with the characters of each story, and then they have that little part at the end where he does interact with us. Mm-hmm. The budget for this movie was 170,000 pounds, which was very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it was higher than, than the budgets of most Amicus productions, and part of it was funded by American International Pictures, AIP, which was an American studio that did a lot of horror movies in the 50s and 60s. And uh, they have a bunch of ones from the 50s that I love, like uh, The Amazing Colossal Man and uh, How to Make a Monster. I was a teenage Frankenstein. I was a teenage werewolf. All those movies. Okay. At one point... Stephen King and George Romero considered remaking this movie. Really? But instead, what did they do? Made a TV show? No. Oh. <laughs> a made Creep Show. Creep Show, yeah. So they made Creep Show, which is basically Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there was a TV show that HBO did do. Uh, did you ever watch the TV show? Yes. I watched a little bit of it, and I always was disappointed because. I loved the intros. I loved the opening. I loved that theme by Danny Elfman. But then the episodes never lived up to that opening for me. But some of these were remade on the TV show. Did you know that? Some of these segments? The most famous one, which many consider to be the best episode of tales from the crypt is all through the house that was remade in the tv series and it was directed by robert zemeckis who was in it i can't remember her name offhand but she played the mom in the goonies and in monster squad oh okay i don't remember who played the santa but it's you know it's like a little bit more violent and the the killer santa is like a, a lot more deranged you know okay uh blind alleys was also remade not called Blind Alleys, though. It was called Revenge is the Nuts. And it was slightly different, but the ha- but it had the same sort of ending with a, a revenge from a blind person. Okay. Then Wish You Were Here was remade uh, somewhat using a similar story, uh, you know, referencing the monkey's paw. And that was called Last Respects. Sorry, I was just looking up the Tales from the Crypt all through the house. Uh-huh. And the Santa is played by Larry Drake. Who's that? You will recognize this man's face. No, I don't know. Really? He was in Darkman? I don't know, but he... Oh, Dr. Giggles. That's what I remember him Dr. from. Dr. Giggles from what? Dr. Giggles is a movie. Yeah, I never saw those. Oh, wow. Okay, so we probably should. Yeah. But Tales from the Crypt, you know, the TV show had its own spinoff movies, you know, Bordello of Blood, and there's one <laughs> other, I think, wasn't there? Tales from the Hood. <laughs> Tales from the Hood. No, but there's uh, Bordello <laughs> of Blood and... Demon Knight. Demon Knight. Uh, I never saw those movies, actually, but uh, perhaps we will cover those one day. Um, I think I saw Bordello of Blood with... Splenda? (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty much it. That's uh, Tales from the Crypt. So where can everyone find us, Cynthia? Um, You can find us at podsandmonsters.com as well as 
Instagram. We are Pods and Monsters Podcast. We are also on Twitter and the Facebook as Pods and Monsters. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Um, But just like sharing with your friends and letting them know um, about us really helps us get out there. And yeah. So for Pods and Monsters, my name is Robert. I'm Inthia. And we hope you fiendish friends of ours enjoyed your time. We will see you later. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Or as I like to say, scary Christmas. (laughs) Who's next? Perhaps you?